Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and today I'll be riding solo as I recap what was a fantastic day of college football and a fantastic week for Week 7. But before I get into, get into all that, first a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. That's where I post my college football gambling picks every week. This past week, a little bit of a rough one. Three and eight against the spread. Missed my money line parlay. Hit the first two legs, which were Illinois, then Tennessee, and then lost it. A 25 to one parlay. Lost it on Washington State. A game that I was just refreshing on the ESPN app on my phone because I couldn't watch it on TV. And that was a tough pill to swallow. So a tough week for me, but still 38 and 32 on the season, one and six on the money line parlays, but I'm always giving out parlays that are at least 10 to one or more. So by hitting just that one, I'm plus four units up on the money line parlays this season, but I got to get myself up off the mat next week, just like Tennessee does after losing to Alabama in what, or sorry, losing to Tennessee in what was the game of the year at Neyland Stadium yesterday. And what a game it was. That game right there is what college football is all about. It had everything you could ask for. It had big plays. Uh, it had controversy. It had mistakes, a key turnover by Tennessee in the fourth quarter, basically a handing Alabama a touchdown. And then Alabama dropping a pass, Jameer Gibbs dropping a pass that could have put them in better position for a field goal on their final drive. And then ultimately missing a kick that would have given them the lead. It had eventually a long-suffering fan base kind of finally getting over the hump and beating their rival, storming the field, taking the goalpost down to the Tennessee River, an amazing crowd, amazing atmosphere in Knoxville. That game had it all, and that game is why we watch college football and why we love college football. It's the kind of game that you just hope for. This was the kind of week that you just hope for as a college football fan. So, that that game had everything. It was a great battle between what I believe are two very good teams at this point. I want to start, I guess, with the I'll start with Alabama side first because they came into this game as the favorite. Uh, they came at, into this game as the team that had not lost this rivalry in quite some time. But throughout the game, I really felt like Tennessee was the team that was more in control. Tennessee started out the game by scoring touchdowns on their first three drives of the game, taking a 21-7 lead early, and it felt like they were in control at that point. It didn't feel like the game was over, certainly, because anytime Alabama's in a game, it's not over. But it did feel early like Tennessee just might be the the better team in this game. And whether it was a matter of just on the right night with the right crowd, all that combined, or whatever the case may be, it felt like Tennessee was better early in this game, uh, particularly the offense, just unbelievable early. Of course, eventually, this one tightens up in the second half. Tennessee misses an extra point, which looked like it might come back to haunt them. Alabama takes a 34, 35-34 lead. Tennessee does get that extra point back with a two-point conversion. And then in the fourth quarter, eight minutes to go, a bad exchange by Tennessee leads to just a easy, easy touchdown for Alabama. And at that point, Alabama's up 49-42, about eight minutes to go in the game, and it's like, well, Tennessee gave it everything they had, and Alabama did just did what Alabama does, which is find a way to win. But that was not to be the case. Tennessee would go down, drive, uh, get a pass interference call on fourth and five on a interception, a Kool-Aid McKinstry, McKinstry interception that looked like it was 
basically going to ice the game, got that pass interference call, and then Tennessee did what Tennessee has did all game long and all season long. They took advantage of that, and they converted a 13-yard touchdown on the very next play to tie the game up. And then, man, oh, man, that kick by Tennessee to win the game. I I still don't know how that Chase McGrath kick went in, a 40-yarder that was, I think on the broadcast, they described it as a knuckleball, and I think that is absolutely the best way to describe that kick. I have no idea, by the rules of physics, how that ball possibly traveled 40 yards and went through those uprights the way it was moving, but somehow, some way it did, and Tennessee came away with that victory. And I think that from an Alabama perspective in this game, I came away with it still just thinking, Bryce Young is unbelievable. Bryce Young didn't play last week, was injured, came back this week, and he just did everything you could possibly ask from your quarterback. The way he moves, the way he is just at all times calm, cool, and collected. I don't know if there's a quarterback in the country that I have more faith in than Bryce Young. And as the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, that makes a lot of sense. But I, I did want to give a, give a hat tip to him because I think in that losing effort, it's still worth remembering and noting that Bryce Young is just an unbelievable quarterback. And I still think for my money, I don't know if there is a, I don't know if there's a quarterback in this country that I would want more when times get tough than, than Bryce Young because he's a guy that is always steady and always doing the little things to make a play, and he made play after play after play today, but it was just not enough for Alabama. And all the credit in the world to Tennessee, I don't want to make this at all sound like this is something where, you know, this is Alabama-focused, Alabama-based, because what I would say is after this game, if I was doing my rankings today, I would make Tennessee, without a doubt, the number one team in in the country. Nobody has been a better mix of impressive in how they've won and has a better resume than Tennessee. And I got a little, I got some questions about this. I got a little pushback on this a couple weeks ago when I said TCU was going to be my number three team in the country. And I want to be clear, the way I think about rankings is it's not a power rating, but it's a ranking based on what you've done. And the way I define kind of what you've done is to me, it's a combination of who you've beaten and how you've looked in your win. So, you know, if you haven't played the greatest schedule in the world, I'm willing to give you the benefit of the doubt if you've gone out there and you've just put it to everybody you've played. But on the other hand, if you've gone out and played a tough schedule and you've got those wins, I give that more credit than a team that, has kind of looked the same against a lesser schedule. So to me, these are not power ratings. These are not who I think would win on a neutral field, who I would have favored if I was working for a sports book and setting lines. This is more about how have you performed so far this season? And to me, nobody, and I mean nobody, has performed better than Tennessee. There's not a better win that anybody in the country possesses than that win over Alabama last night. That is a team that fought tooth and nail, would not go down. Tennessee faced so much adversity in that game, giving Alabama a touchdown, handing them a touchdown. And Hendon Hooker and that Tennessee offense were not to be denied. An unreal five-touchdown game for Hendon Hooker. Uh, But it wasn't just the passing game for Tennessee. They were very successful on the ground, too. 39 carries, 182 yards. Jalen Wright had 12 for 71. And that, that's a key part of their game. I mean, they, they showed that they can do it. And that's part of why I really like Tennessee right now, too. It's Everybody thinks about just the passing game, but they showed that they can be two-dimensional. They can move the ball on the ground. They can move it through the air. And, you know, everybody talks about, again, you think about Tennessee, think about the passing game, you think about it being wide open, spread out. You don't think about them being a super physical team, but I was very impressed with the physicality of Tennessee. And they came, or after this game, 
Tennessee is the number two team in the country at limiting havoc plays by the defense. So limiting things like tackles for lost, uh, tackles for loss, sacks, pass breakups, interceptions, things of those natures. They are second in the country, the second best offense in the country at limiting that after after week seven. And I thought that really showed against Alabama because when you think about an Alabama defense, they're not necessarily an elite defense at creating havoc statistically, but you think about all the athletes and um, unbelievable defensive players on that defense, and you think about that as a defense that can create some havoc, and that was just not happening yesterday. Alabama created havoc on just 6% of their defensive plays yesterday, and that's a really a testament to that Tennessee offense, testament to the t- physicality of that Tennessee offense and, and that offensive line and what they were able to do, um, and really the offense as a whole, because it is is truly a team effort. So I was I was really impressed by that by from Tennessee. So to me, they are my number one team in the country right now after after that unbelievable win, game of the year. I will run down the rest of my let's give it a top six, because I really think there's six teams, maybe a seventh, that are kind of worth talking about right now, and they're all undefeated teams. So I would have Ohio State at number two. I'm going to stick with my Horn Frogs at number three after an unbelievable comeback win against Oklahoma State. Give me Georgia at number four, Michigan at number five, and we're going to get to Michigan in just a few moments here. Clemson and Clemson at number six. And those, I think, are the six remaining undefeated teams with UCLA as a borderline seventh that we really need to be considering, we really need to be talking about at this point in the season. Now, if I was doing rankings, I would not have UCLA. You know, I would have UCLA at number seven, and then I'd slot Alabama right in behind them at number eight. Because again, this is about resume. And really, when you look at Alabama's resume, it's not about how I project them. It's about what they've done. And their most impressive win is a one-point win at Texas. And to me, that carries a lot less weight than it does to, I think, a lot of the people in the advanced analytics world. See, this week in SP+, Texas is still number six. I thought they were very, very unimpressive against Iowa State at home. One of my few wins this week was Iowa State and the however many points they were getting. That game. It was fluctuating a bit, but I think I got it at 16 and a half. And I thought that was just an easy bet, honestly, for Texas to come back after that Oklahoma game and be at their peak against Iowa State. I just didn't see it. But the advanced analytics love it. I do respect and trust, and I think advanced analytics are a very valuable tool, but I just do not see this Texas team as any sort of top five or top 10 team. I see them as a good, but not great team, but that's not what we're here to talk about right now. Talking about the very top of the sport. So Tennessee, Ohio State, TCU, Georgia, Michigan, Clemson. Those are my top six right now with UCLA at number seven and Alabama at number eight. And we should only be so lucky to get a college ball playoff that has this Tennessee offense in it, the Ohio State offense. And then, I don't know, I like Clemson's D. I still love Clemson's defense. I think that Michigan defense is really impressive. Obviously, Georgia, uh, really impressive defense. I think it would be a nice contrast. We could get that Tennessee and Ohio State offense in there and then maybe one or two really good defenses. But I'd love to see C.J. Stroud. I'd love to see a C.J. Stroud. I know a lot of people are sick of Alabama, but I would love to see a C.J. Stroud-Bryce Young matchup maybe at some point. I think it's going to be really interesting how this college football playoff eventually shakes out. I wonder if Tennessee actually losing a close game to Georgia could be the best thing to happen to them because then they wouldn't have to 
if they could win out other than a loss to Georgia, road a close road loss to Georgia, then they would be 11-1, and not have to play in the SEC championship game, and have a home win over Alabama. And that's a, that's a really strong resume. If that were the case, and Alabama then won the SEC championship game over Georgia, then I think there would be a good, good argument that Alabama and Tennessee should both get in if they both uh, ran the table. But then at the same time, if Georgia beats Tennessee in the regular season, I mean, you could make the case, well, they they won head-to-head. So I don't know. I mean, I, of course, the best-case scenario for Tennessee is to just win out. And, I, you know, I do think it's very possible. I think it's possible that Tennessee could go on the road to Athens and win that game. I would still make Georgia the favorite in that game. But let's think back to what we saw in the SEC championship game last year when Alabama beat Georgia in a game where, uh, you know, that, that was a surprise. It's weird to look back and say, but that was certainly a surprise. And what did Alabama do in that game? Well, they put up 421 passing yards for at, at over 16 yards uh, per reception, just under 10 yards per attempt. Bryce Young had a unreal game. There were some big plays in that game. And thinking back to that game, it makes me think that maybe, just maybe, Tennessee can do the same thing to Georgia this year. And even if you look back to last year's Tennessee-Georgia game, you know, I joked about it earlier in the year uh, because Georgia ultimately did win that game 41-17. to And I said, Tennessee fans think they won the SEC championship because they were able to put up 17 against Georgia. But they they were one of the few teams that could actually move the ball at all against Georgia. Uh, they were in that game early. They scored a touchdown on their very first drive, something Georgia did not allow a lot of last year were first half, much less first quarter touchdowns. So Tennessee may have a little confidence going into that game. I mean, they, they were up in that. They scored on their first drive. They were up 10-7 at one point that game. Ultimately, it got away from them, but that Georgia team was an unreal Georgia team, and I don't think this Georgia team is quite the same. I think Tennessee is playing with a ton of confidence. I like the way the schedule is shaking out for Tennessee right now. So they have this huge win. I think it was so big for Tennessee that they got this emotional win over Florida. Then they had a bye week before going to LSU. Because if they didn't have that bye week before LSU, I don't know. Things may have gone differently, but they did. They had that bye week. They went down to LSU, and they smashed them. Then they have this Alabama game, and who do they get after Alabama? They get UT Martin next week, and that's I think that's just a great way for the schedule to shake out for them before they have Kentucky and Georgia in back-to-back games. But it it does seem like it's going to be a one-game season for the SEC East at this point, and it's going to be Tennessee at Georgia in Athens on November 5th. And as good as the atmosphere was, in Knoxville yesterday, I'm not going to say Athens is going to be quite as good because, you know, they won that national championship last year. They don't have any uh, they don't have any humps to get over at this point. But I'll tell you this much. I would like to be there for that game. So I think that's going to be a fun atmosphere and a fantastic game. So Tennessee, for me, number one team in the country. Do not give up hope on Alabama yet, because I think as long as they have Bryce Young, they are very able to make a run, and maybe we'll see a rematch in the SEC championship game. There is not another team on Alabama's schedule that I think really scares me, and that includes Ole Miss. I was absolutely, ugh, that Ole Miss-Auburn game yesterday, to give up 34 points to Auburn, I I can't take you seriously. I just cannot take Ole Miss seriously as a team that can potentially beat Alabama, giving up 34 points to Auburn. And yes, if you're following my picks on Twitter, you might say, okay, maybe you're 
just a little bitter because you bet the under in that game. You bet Auburn under 20 and a half. And you know what? I think you you might be right. But before that game against Ole Miss, against the four other Power 5 teams Auburn had played, they had scored 12 points, 17 points, 17 points, and 10 points. And Ole Miss goes out and gives up 34 points to them. So Ole Miss, yes, they're 7-0. and Yes, they've looked fairly good. I think they could have and probably should have lost that Kentucky game. I will go to far, go as far to, as to say should have lost that Kentucky game at home. So a little preview. All day yesterday as I, was, as I was watching that game, I said I can't wait to bet LSU next week. I can't wait to bet LSU against them next week. LSU opened at plus three and a half. It's already down to plus one and a half. I think I'm still going to jump in it, but I just hate that it, it, it jumped so much. So I say all that to say there is not a team left on, on Alabama's schedule that I think is going to give them any trouble. You know, Mississippi State, I don't know. That's a team I liked a lot coming into the season, but it does not seem like they can play on the road. They, they're two SEC road games so far. They got absolutely blown out in the second half by an LSU team when they kind of had control of the game. They were up 13 to seven going into halftime. They were actually up 13 to nothing with just a couple minutes left in the, in the second quarter uh, with 2.14 left in the second quarter, they were up 13 to nothing. They end up losing that game 31 to 16. And then yesterday against a Kentucky team that really hasn't looked that good in a, in, throughout the season, uh, they did get Will Levis back yesterday. But that's a game. I talk about it all the time with Brian. It's like in the SEC West, the margins are so small. All those teams are quality. And this year, it's clear Auburn is just by far the worst team in that division. But, you know, there's still, there's still a battle for who can be second in this division, who can be third in this division. And for Mississippi State, got to find a way to go out and win that game. And they didn't, they, they didn't look particularly good. They only had 225 yards of offense in that game, uh, 5.5 yards per pass, 2.2 yards per rush on just 10 carries. And they had been running the ball fairly decently up to this point in the season. So there is not a team that I that scares me left on Alabama's schedule. I think Alabama will be in the SEC championship game. I think that if I had to put if I had to put money on it right now, ooh, I think I would still pick Georgia just because it's that game against Tennessee is in Athens, but it would not surprise me at all to see a rematch of, of yesterday's thriller. And I would love to see that if we can get it. All right, so that was not the only great game of the day. There was another game immediately following it that not quite, but almost lived up to its predecessor in Knoxville, and that was Utah taking down USC 43-42 to in another thriller. And this was a game where, where I thought Tennessee looked like the better team kind of throughout the game. I kind of thought USC looked like the better team in this one, despite the fact that they ultimately ended up losing. They got out, just like Tennessee did, they got out to a quick early start, up 14-0, scoring on their first two drives. They actually ended up scoring on their first three drives, and that offense just looked like it could not be stopped. I talked last week on the show with Brian about how Utah's defense just hasn't quite developed the way that I thought it might this year. And that was the difference between why they are seemingly a good team and not a college football playoff team. And they were struggling to get stops for much of that game. But this ended up just being a battle between two unbelievable offenses and all the credit in the world to Cam Rising and that Utah offense because 
Cam Rising basically said, hey, Caleb Williams, as good as you are, as good as you look, as good as this offense looks, anything you can do, I can do better. And we are going to win this game. Another unbelievable crowd in Salt Lake City. You know, not quite the not quite the same uh, history between these two schools. Not quite the same angst from this Utah fan base. But still, an unbelievable crowd. A really fun game. And one where it was just going back and forth and back and forth. And I love, love, love the decision by Kyle Whittingham to go for that two-point conversion when Utah scored uh, right under a minute left in that game. And it looked like there was no hesitation on his end because he knew, he knew that they had struggled to stop USC all night. And this is not the kind of team that you want to go to overtime with and just be going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and see whose offense can, uh, can outlast the other one because, you know, USC looked unstoppable for most of the night. So he did He did what I love when coaches do. He put the ball in the hands of his playmaker on the touchdown, the, the touchdown on fourth and goal that uh, cut the lead to one. He put the ball in Cam Rising's hands. Cam Rising used his legs, and he got in the end zone for that touchdown. And then same thing on the two-point conversion, put the ball in Cam Rising's hands, used his legs, found the end zone to give them the league. And that was all Cam Rising right there. Unbelievable individual effort by him on those two plays. And I love the decision. The execution was, of course, impeccable. And it's a really tough one for USC to swallow because now they have just about no margin for error if they want to make the college ball playoff. Because I was prepared in the first quarter and even in the first half and honestly into the second half as this shootout was going back and forth. I never felt like USC was going to lose this game because I just thought USC could not get the stops that they needed. And I was prepared to come on here today and say I have Tennessee number one, Ohio State two, and USC at number three. I was fully prepared for that because as much as I was just raving about Bryce Young, I was absolutely astounded by Caleb Williams yesterday, too. I thought he had an unbelievable game. He had five touchdowns. He didn't have the world's prettiest completion percentage yesterday, but just watching that game, it seemed like he made every play that he could possibly make. He was finding a way to get things done. It'll be interesting to see going forward with USC uh, what the deal is with Jordan Addison, who was injured in that game. I'm not sure how long he'll be out. Haven't seen an update yet on whether this is something he'll be able to bounce back from quickly or if he'll be out a while. Obviously a huge blow at receiver, uh, one of the best receivers in the country in Jordan Addison. So it's a blow for them, but they were still able to continue to score even without him. And I like this USC team. I think they are an unbelievable offense. I still don't trust their defense a whole lot, but let's look at their schedule. Let's look at the USC schedule because there's nobody on that schedule that scares me until they go to UCLA. They go at Arizona, Cal at home, Colorado home, at UCLA. So if USC can win those three games, then they're going to have a huge crosstown showdown with UCLA potentially for a spot to go to the Pac-12 championship game, and then maybe an opportunity to avenge this loss to uh, Utah, or maybe they get a shot at Oregon, or maybe USC and UCLA play again the next week. Uh, I saw Bill Connolly tweeted out today some power conference title odds, SP Plus power conference odds, uh, that were put together by at TF Gridiron, who is a college football data guy that that I follow as well. But they have UCLA right now at 40% to win the Pac-12, Oregon at 30%, Utah at 17%, and USC at 12%. I don't, I that seems very low to me for USC if we 
you know, there's there's no divisions anymore in the Pac-12. That's that's gone. So USC sits at four and one. Utah at three and one. Uh, of course, Utah would have a tiebreaker over USC if they both finish with one loss, and then Oregon and UCLA both undefeated. So, I, and then UCLA and Oregon play each other next week. So one of those teams is going to take a loss. I I think this Pac-12. I think this league is unbelievably fun, but I think they're going to ultimately beat up on each other just a little too much and. I think USC, if they if USC ends the season with one loss, I think they'll be in the Pac-12 championship game. I feel pretty confident in saying that. Uh, I, I still think they're better than UCLA right now. I think on a neutral field, let's put it this way, on a neutral field, I would still have them favored over Utah right now. So that's not to take away anything that Utah did yesterday. It was an impressive effort and really an impressive effort by the, by them considering that this is a team that came into the year with, you know, college ball playoff aspirations. They played a game at UCLA last week that was the score, the final score was closer than the game ever felt. And uh, it's impressive job of just getting up off the mat and even after going down early, finding a way to get that win. So all the credit to Utah, but I just came away impressed, so impressed with both of these offenses. And like the Tennessee-Alabama game, I would not mind seeing this as a rematch in the Pac-12 championship game. But I think no matter what we get in the Pac-12 championship game, it is going to be a t- ton of fun because there are just offenses galore in that conference. We have UCLA, the number three offense in SP plus Oregon, the number six offense in SP plus Utah, the number nine offense in SP plus and USC, the number 13 offense in SP plus. So those four offenses all in the top 13, I feel pretty confident in saying it's going to be some combination of those four teams that are in the Pac-12 championship game. And it's kind of like the Big 12 was maybe 10 years ago, which is a ton of fun. So uh, kudos to Utah for getting the win. But just like Alabama, I am not counting USC out yet. I was very impressed by them. I was very impressed by their offense. I think their defense is a question mark. And I don't think if they were to make a College football playoff, they could win a game there, just given given the way their defense looks. But I think that offense can compete with anybody in the country. And it that was a fun follow-up to Tennessee, Alabama. I did not think I was gonna I you know, I didn't even intend to watch all of that game. It had been a long day. I was tired, and then I was like, I can't, I just can't turn this off. I can't turn this off. I was thinking about just finishing it up in the morning. And I was like, nope, this is what being a college football fan is all about. This is why you watch. It's so you can watch Tennessee take down Alabama and then watch Utah take down USC on a two-point conversion with less than a minute to go. And uh, I'm glad I did because it was just an unbelievable duo of back-to-back games there. Okay, I want to get to one more really big game of the day, big impact result. And this game was not nearly as good or exciting or or fun, but I do think it was a very, very impactful game, and that is Michigan laying the hammer to Penn State, 41-17. This is a game that Penn State uh, actually led late in the second quarter. They led it 14-13 off a, off a pick six, and th- at that point in that game, it was like, okay, Michigan has done everything to to really dominate the game. If you're in a place where you can live bet, just get on and live bet, live bet, live bet Michigan because it was just so clear even at that point, despite the fact that Penn State was winning the game, Michigan just looked like such the better team in this one. and. It was really a physically dominating performance 
throughout. I mean, there is no question in my mind who the better team was on this day. Michigan ran for 418 yards, 7.6 yards per carry. Uh, It was domination through and through. I tweeted before the game that I thought that J.J. McCarthy could avoid the big mistake better than Sean Clifford could. And I thought McCarthy had some shaky moments in this game, including that pick six. So he didn't necessarily avoid the big mistake, but Clifford just didn't bring much to the table through the passing game. He had one really long run, 60-ish yard run. That was a huge play for them. But he was 719 for 120 yards on the day. Um, I, I just don't... This Penn State team... They were built on their defense, and it became clear in this game that their defense is nowhere near as good as the Michigan defenses, and I just don't know what what Penn State hangs their hat on at this point because they're not a dynamic offense. They're clearly not an elite, elite, elite defense, And I think it just seems like they are a team that's clearly not at that college football playoff level, but it's not even in that next tier of five to six teams either. It it seems like it's more of a lower part of the top 25 type team, which I think has to be disappointing for Penn State fans. And I was very skeptical, Brian, even more so of Sean Clifford coming into the season. And I thought he had performed admirably at times throughout this year. He had made some big plays, especially with his legs. But in this game, it just wasn't happening for Clifford. And freshman backup quarterback Drew Aller actually replaced him as Clifford reportedly sustained a shoulder injury during the game. I don't know. I just wonder if at some point the rest of this year, they eventually make the decision to see what they have in Aller. Because I just don't know what this team's identity is. They have a very good, but not elite level defense. They have a middling offense and they, they just kind of seem stuck in the middle after getting very close to college ball playoff during the James Franklin era. It, it seems clear that that's not where they're at right now. Now, Michigan on the other hand, is a team that is a college ball playoff contender, no doubt about it. They really picked up right where they left off last year. They finally get over the hump against Ohio State. They go to the college ball playoff, and they come back out this year. And after dominating some really weak competition, looking questionable at times, uh, not nearly as dominant against a, a trio of Big Ten foes in Maryland, Iowa, and Indiana that are a clear level below them. This was really their first big test of the season, and and it's crazy to say that in mid-October, but it really was. And they came through with flying colors. They, I mean, I've already covered it, and they just dominated this game. And I think it's clear right now that Michigan has an elite defense and an elite running game. Blake Corham and Donovan Edwards yesterday combined. They had Blake Corham, 166 yards on the ground. Edwards, 173 yards. Uh, Just an unbelievable performance between the two of them. I mean, you, you just don't see that every day for two backs to combine for nearly 340 yards on the ground. So I think they have an elite, elite defense, elite running game. I don't know that they're going to be tested. They have Michigan State at home, at Rutgers, Nebraska at home, and then they do have one that might be difficult before the Ohio State game, but it is at the big house. It's Illinois at home. and Illinois might, at this point, truly be the third or fourth best team in the Big Ten, but I think Michigan is just on another level. I think this year Ohio State and Michigan are on a completely different level than the rest of the conference. So a really impressive performance by Michigan after there had been a lot of questions about them and exactly how good they were to start Big Ten play. 
So those were the big impact games of the day. In my mind, I want to quickly get to a few winners and losers, a solo edition of winners and losers. And I am going to start with my winner of the week, and that is Nebraska wide receiver Trey Palmer. Every time I turn on a Nebraska game, and I weirdly find myself turning on Nebraska games a decent bit because I really love watching Trey Palmer. He had an unreal day in the loss to Purdue yesterday. Seven receptions, 237 yards, and two touchdowns. Palmer transferred from LSU, and already this season he has more receptions. He has 47 receptions on the season. He had a combined 41 over his previous three years at LSU. He has 781 receiving yards, which is more than the three previous years at LSU combined. And he has just had an unreal year. Every time I see this man, he is running past somebody's safety for a touchdown, for a long touchdown. So Trey Palmer, fun player to watch, unbelievable year, something fun for Nebraska fans. So he is my winner of the week, even in a losing effort. My loser of the week, the Notre Dame offense. The Notre Dame offense is so bad. After seemingly getting it figured out a little bit, Notre Dame came out yesterday at home against Stanford and laid an absolute clunker. Stanford was the team that you get your offense right against. This year, USC, 41 on Stanford. Washington, 40 on Stanford. Oregon, 45 on Stanford. They are supposed to be the team that you get your offense right against. Not only did Notre Dame not get their offense right, they lost the game. They lost 16-14 to at home to a bad Stanford team. A Stanford team whose only win prior to that was against Colgate. Notre Dame managed just 301 total yards. They went 3-for-12 on third down. Uh, 5.6 yards per pass in the loss. A really ugly game for Notre Dame. And after, you know, seemingly looking like, okay, they got things figured out a little bit after that Marshall loss, starting the year 0-2, get a close win over Cal, find their find their offense a bit against a bad North Carolina defense, get a win against BYU. To to lay that egg against Stanford is just ooh, it is it is bad. So that's my loser of the week. Notre Dame's passing game could not get it done. Notre Dame's offense as a whole could not get it done. And it really seems like Notre Dame is going to have to upgrade talent on the offensive side of the ball in a major way. And, you know, it's funny. Marcus Freeman, prior to the year, everybody's darling. Like, can't do anything wrong. And now you're starting to see it on social media, on Twitter, on message boards. You know, fans are starting to question him because they've had a very bad start to the year. But I do think if there's anybody who can upgrade the talent level on the offense, who can get an elite quarterback, who can get some elite receivers, they've had good running backs over the years. But right now, I mean, it's just in the passing game, as far as their receiving threats go, it's it's Michael Mayer. It's Michael Mayer, and and, and that's about it. And and that's not going to cut it. But So I, I do have the utmost faith in Marcus Freeman to to – upgrade talent at the skill positions, which it seems like that's what they really need at the moment. I also don't think their offensive line is all that great. Again, Stanford yesterday, two sacks, six, uh, uh, two sacks, six tackles for loss. So I don't know. Their offensive line was supposed to be good again. They brought an offensive line coach back, but I, I haven't seen it so far this year. And uh, it's just a tough, tough start to the Marcus Freeman era for Notre Dame. So that Notre Dame offense, my loser of the week, Maryland minute, and we're going to make it truly a minute this week. Maryland had a very, very ugly game that they gutted out and won against Indiana on the road to get to five and two. That is the good news for Maryland. The bad news for Maryland is Leah Tunga-Vailoa, left the game, was carted off the field with potentially, 
Mike Loxley called it a lower leg injury, said he was unsure whether it was the ankle or knee. It sure looked like one of those plays where defensive lineman rolls up on a quarterback and it's a knee injury. Uh, I am not a doctor. I'm completely speculating on, on what it may be here. But just based on the injury, how it looked, how he was carted off, I'm hoping for the best. I haven't seen any news, but I am not really I'm operating under the assumption that maybe this is just me as a negative Maryland fan is that he will not play the rest of the year which is a major 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 blow for Maryland a major blow for what they might be able to accomplish this season getting off to a great start at five and two if for some reason if in some way Leah is healthy and able to make his way back I would a hundred percent rest him against Northwestern if there's even a question because Maryland has a bye as Northwestern this week then a bye week and then they go to Wisconsin at Penn State Ohio State at home so if there's a chance that he can play in that Wisconsin game I'd rest him I'd try to get him healthy for that Wisconsin game see if uh Billy Edwards a transfer from Wake Forest who really performed admirably in relief leading a couple touchdown drives that Maryland had to have to, to win the game. Um, Maryland, so, you know, I, I think that if if you can get Leah healthy, you try to get him healthy for that Wisconsin game and hope that Billy Edwards, the backup, can uh, get you a win at Northwestern to, to, get bowl, to get you bowl eligible because if – if you don't have Leah, if Maryland doesn't have Leah, then all that all you can really think or hope for as a Maryland fan is to get six wins and and a bowl appearance and and just get back to a bowl game and um, you know chalk it up to an unfortunate break in what was looking to be a, a pretty good season. So we will await news on that. I don't know anything at this point. I am just skeptical based on the way it looked, the way he went off. Uh, hope I'm wrong, and I hope we see him playing out there next week against Northwestern, and he was completely fine. And, uh, again, kudos to Billy Edwards for uh, unbelievable job in relief coming in, Maryland trailing Indiana 27-24, leading them to uh, a, a touchdown drive, and then, scoring uh, another touchdown drive to put Maryland up uh, 38-27. So nice job in, in relief by Billy Edwards. Way to gut it out by the Terps to get to 5-2. and two. They just got to find a way to get six wins in a bowl, and uh, we're, we're hoping the best for, for Leah and that he gets healthy. All right. It's going to be hard to top this weekend of games as, as great as it was, but there is always another week ahead. And uh, as far as the games that I'm looking forward to next week, like I said, I'm looking forward to betting LSU against Ole Miss. I wish it was three and a half. It's down to one and a half. But I just think I think LSU is, is going to win that game against Ole Miss. I could not have been less impressed with Ole Miss uh, in their win over Auburn. So give me the Tigers there. I'm excited to watch that one. I'm really excited just to, to sit back and watch the – UCLA Oregon game so UCLA goes on the road to Oregon I already talked about how good those offenses are earlier in the game I think we're going to have a very similar game to the USC Utah one that we just saw last night and that was a ton of fun and then Texas going on the road to Oklahoma State Oklahoma State has to pick themselves up off the mat after a game that we didn't get to talk about I wish we did have a chance a little bit more but there was just too much going on yesterday uh but they got out to an early lead against TCU. Looked like they were going to get a huge road win. And then the wheels fell off a little bit. Ended up losing uh, an overtime game to TCU. They have Texas coming to town next week. They got to pick themselves up and get a win. Can they do it? We'll see. This is Texas's chance again. They survived uh, Iowa State. Now if they can go get this win. Maybe we can start thinking about them as like one of these top 15 teams. I'm just not there yet, uh, but I'm excited to watch that one. I'm excited to see, excited to see how how this Oklahoma State team rebounds after uh, a really tough loss. And then the last game I am pumped to watch is Kansas State 
at TCU. Big game for me as a Kansas State to win the Big 12 better preseason. I like this game because I love contrasting styles. And I don't know that the styles can contrast much more than Kansas State and TCU. Kansas State, you know, run, 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 run with uh, Martinez and Deuce Vaughn and then the Sunny Dykes offense and, and Nax Duggan putting the ball up all over the place and the unbelievable receivers that TCU has. I mean, Quinton Johnson. Quinton Johnston is just one of the best receivers in college football right now. He puts up unbelievable stat lines in back-to-back games, eight receptions, 180 yards against Oklahoma State. The week before that, 14 receptions, 206 yards against Kansas. He is an unbelievable receiver. He's 6'4". He can do it all. Uh, love watching him play. So I love the contrast of styles there in Kansas State and TCU. And it'll be another big game in Fort Worth. And that schedule is really working out nicely for TCU. A lot of home games for them, uh, which is fantastic. You know, that's why the cookie crumbles sometimes. They're getting the benefit on that. But Kansas State, huge opportunity to go down there and get a big win. And then, you know, this is probably not on your radar, but it's on mine. I will be going to the Maryland-Northwestern game for homecoming. Uh, Hoping to see Leah out there. But if not, hoping that Billy Edwards can get the Terps bowl eligible. So I will actually be at that one. That will be the first college ball game of the season that I am actually attending live. So I am pumped for that. Well, it was quite a week in the world of college football. These are the days you dream about, you think about, you hope for. Some unbelievable games, some games that impacted the national landscape, and some games that were fun to just sit back and watch. I hope we get another weekend just as good in uh, week eight. That's our show. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.